Well, tomorrow our uh, nation pauses to uh, remember and honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who gave his life to uh, increasing the uh, racial equality and racial integration of our nation. We still have a long way to go, uh, but we are making progress in large part uh, due to uh, the work of Dr. King. Uh, but of course, we gather today as the church of Jesus, and uh, Jesus uh, calls us to certainly uh, a relationship of equality and integration, but of course, Jesus calls us to something much, much higher. Uh, Jesus calls us to be one across all races and ethnicities as we gather together as his people, and uh, I remember uh, a key thing that Jesus prayed. This is before he went to the cross and he prayed about us, uh, his people. Uh, Jesus prayed, Father, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world may know that you sent me. So that is our call, is to be one. How are we doing? Uh, what does it mean for us to be unified as, uh, as a church uh, and how are we doing, and how can we do better uh, in our pursuit of being one in Jesus, uh, breaking down the kind of racial barriers that uh, characterize uh, the world outside of Jesus? To explore this, uh, I've asked uh, some friends here uh, who are all lay people here at uh, Black Rock to share a little of their uh, journey and perspective. And I'd like to introduce them to you, starting with uh, uh, Chioma Nwangu. Uh, Chioma is a medical doctor by profession and uh, is also part of our prayer ministry here at Black Rock. And uh, her family is very involved here at Black Rock. Uh, her daughter, Chloe, was leading us vocally in worship just a few moments ago. And uh, uh, her husband, uh, John, is uh, one of our lay spiritual leaders here at the church, an elder. And uh, it's an honor to have her as part of this uh, panel. I'd also like to introduce uh, Michael Fuji. Uh, Michael Fuji is the CEO of an insurance company and uh, a lay leader here at BlackRock uh, as a leader of one of our uh, community groups, small groups here at BlackRock. And along with his wife, uh, he also has started a nonprofit uh, organization dedicated to uh, resourcing families uh, of all races uh, called the Family Peace Center. And I'd like to introduce um, uh, Mari Alicia. Uh, she is a middle school teacher in uh, Trumbull and uh, leads uh, as a lay leader in our high school ministry here at Black Rock called Fusion. And then uh, Brad Rumble is a professional photographer uh, and a lay leader in our fourth worship service every Sunday, which is called Sanctuary. He is a uh, community group uh, Bible study leader, and he has a second career as a Christian hip-hop artist. And uh, uh, before this uh, hour is over, uh, you'll get to hear uh, Brad share with us a song that he wrote just for uh, this occasion. So I'd like to start uh, with you, Brad, and uh, just as you were growing up, um, tell us a little bit about how your, what your perspectives were uh, with regard to race. Good morning. Um, growing up in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, the way that I uh, first uh, viewed race um, was in regards to uh, financial security. Um, growing up right next to Greenwich, uh, me and my friends uh, uh, raised on Con Ave, we would see a lot of wealth and a lot of nice things. Um, in that area, and we would 
go back to our hood and we didn't have those things. So, you know, uh, we kind of related uh, certain things and certain phrases um, to uh, being white. So even little things as if you spoke properly, they would say, hey man, like, why are you speaking white? You know, and, and uh, even things as education, what we had and, and a, lot of, a lot of comparison. Um, and what I, what I recognized as I uh, matured in my faith was that um, that was a spiritual falsehood that tried to uh, come inside of me and tell me that uh, I was not uh, uh, worthy or valued um, compared to other people based upon the things that they had or uh, the, ex the experience or the intellect that they had. Um, and I can uh, recall a time I was uh, downtown Stanford and I was evangelizing. Um, and I, was, I was pretty bold at the time. I think I was about 19, 20. And uh, I saw a, a white male walking towards me with a, a Wall Street uh, business suit on and uh, everything that I remembered about the gospel just completely disappeared. <laughs> and I was like, Lord, um, I don't know what to say to this dude uh, because he probably has so much more intellect and he's probably uh, a lot well off uh, for any little faith that I can share with him. Um, and in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and he said, in every man's heart, there is a God-shaped hole. And if it is not filled, then they are empty. Yeah. And from that moment on and from that day forward, um, I view that same uh, concept that every person is empty, uh, regardless of race, um, regardless of what you have or what you don't have. Every person is empty if they don't have Jesus. Um, and that actually led me to build and bond relationships uh, with many people of many races and uh, has just filled my heart to see what I've been uh, missing because of, of, of the color of skin. Yeah, thank you for that uh, foundation, Brad, because the foundation of our oneness comes back to theological truth uh, that Brad has just uh, brought out again, and that is that it doesn't matter what color you are, you are equally loved by Jesus and you are equally lost without Jesus. Uh, we are all in God's sight uh, equal no matter what our uh, color or racial background or uh, ethnicity is. And that's the foundation of our oneness is starting right there. And uh, Red, what did, have you experienced in terms of, of oneness though as you've taken that theological truth and applied it uh, to your own experience? Uh, so an experience I can recall, um, I have a good friend of mine named Scott Winters. Um, he lives in, in Greenwich, uh, now lives in California. He's a California boy. Um, white guy, about 45 years old. And uh, when I met him, he was having Bible studies at his house, beautiful house. And uh, we, be we began to just grow a really strong uh, brotherhood in Christ. Um, and so one day he invited me out to get some coffee. And uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to. So um, I get to this coffee shop in Greenwich and never been there before. I'm kind of standing at the door, really awkward, can't find him. And I see him in the back and he's talking to this lady. Uh, so he comes up to me, greets me, and, and the, the way we greet each other is, is with a big hug and a big smile and, you know, genuinely saying, you know, how are you, how are you doing, how are your family? And so uh, we sat down and he asked me if I wanted to get anything. So he went to go get me some coffee and, and a cookie because I like a lot of sweets. And um, <laughs> when he came back over and, and to put the stuff down, the lady had called him back over. So he went back over to her and... Uh, he stayed there for about five minutes, and it was, five minutes is a long time if you're sitting there, it's like six, seven, you know? <laughs> and when he came back over, um, he said that the lady had spoke to him, and she said, uh, she said, how do you know that guy? And he was like, oh, that's, that's my brother in Christ. Like, I love him, we go to Bible study together, and this and that. 
And um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but before um, I got there, he was in inviting this lady out to his Bible study. And she was sharing how she just didn't have enough time or her schedule didn't work. And when she saw the way that we embraced each other in love, she said, you know what? I want to go to that Bible study. And what that spoke to me is it just brought the scripture to life when Jesus said, they will know you by your love. Mm -hmm. And when we learn how to love each other, uh, we will be more appealing uh, to those that have never experienced or seen love. Um, and the greatest uh, equalizer, I believe, of how we can uh, come together in oneness as a church is begin to hear the perspectives of other people um, and put down our pride and our perspectives to say, you know what, I really want to listen and hear what you're thinking, uh, how you were raised, and what your philosophies are so that we can uh, truly learn how to love each other and not just tolerate each other. Mm -hmm. And I think when we can begin to do that, and there's a oneness in this body right here, uh, there's going to be people that are on the outside that are running in here because if they don't have love and they see that we don't have love, why would they want to come? That's right. So that's what Jesus is calling us to, is the, that kind of friendship that uh, Brad has just uh, described what he had with Scott, uh, that kind of friendship uh, that is uh, grown over time. And I, my question is to you, if you are a follower of Jesus and this is your church, uh, what's, what, what level of uh, interaction do you have with people who don't look like you? Uh, are you building a friendship with someone here at BlackRock? You have no excuse. We have so much diversity here at BlackRock. And if you are not developing a friendship uh, with someone who does not look like you, get out of your comfort zone and, uh, and make that friendship because this is a part of what we do to demonstrate uh, Jesus is who he says he is in the way we uh, have friendships like that with each other. Now, Chioma, your experience has been a little different uh, by virtue of a lot of things, including uh, where you grew up and were raised. Explain that. So good late morning, BlackRock family. Um, and thank you, Pastor Steve, for allowing me to participate in this discussion. So yes, I, um, I was born and raised in Nigeria. I came to America in 1987 as a young adult. And so because of that, my experiences in racism um, was a little more different than what my children experienced. And um, because my children began to exper experience racism from a much younger age, the pain and hurt they have is deeper and wider than what I experienced. And I'll give you an example. So my middle child um, was recommended for chemistry honors by his bio teacher because he was good in science. And when he got to the uh, chemistry bio, chemistry honors class, sorry, the teacher said to him, I've been teaching chemistry honors for 30 years and I've never had a black student and I'm not going to start now. And this gentleman went on to lower his grades intentionally. We didn't even know all this until later when the school found out and did something about it, his grades went from 61 to 63 to 91, 72 to 97. Mm. And a little later when he got into college, still a good student, and there was at some point in college that out of about 30 subjects he had taken, he had about 20, 26 A's. And some of his professors said, yeah, you know, that they're sure he, you know, he cheats in the exam. And one of them actually made him sit in front of the class, in front of him to do the exam. He sat in front of him, did the exam, and still had an A. And he never even apologized for that. And uh, for me, a few years ago, I was in Westport, Connecticut. I went to a consignment store with, a with two friends of mine from BlackRock. 
So after we made a, uh, you know, after we made a purchase, I was the last one in the group. So I, I paid. Uh, the cashier was the owner of the consignment store. When I finished paying, right, and she gave me the bag, and I turned to leave. I barely went about 10 steps. And she said to me uh, to come back that she wanted to search my bag. Oh, my God. I was shaken, and I was shaken. I was visibly shaken. And I said to the Lord, please, please, let her just be a regular racist and not an insidious racist. Please, Lord. <laughs> and what's the difference? A regular racist just thinks I'm stupid, lazy, a thief. But an insidious racist thinks I'm lazy, stupid, and a thief, and then can actually plant something in my bag or in my car. So I was really shaken. She looked at my bag. She didn't see anything. And then I took it back and turned to live again. And she said to me, she wants to look at my pocket bag that I had under my arm. And I was about to just give it to her. And then the, one of the ladies that from the church I came, I said, Choma, what's going on? I just did my arms like this. I said that she said she wants to search my bag. And she said to her, what? What's the reason? And the woman did this too. So that was the only thing we had in common. I did this because I didn't know why she was searching. Well, I didn't know why. And I don't know why she did this. So anyway, we left. But what that taught me, I realized that as a family, that we're experiencing this whole, all these challenging things. But we needed to, we were Christians, and we needed to find us our strength in God. So as a family, we began to. We made conscious effort to begin to read the word of God, to begin to pray. Ask my children. There's no day in the week I say to them, have you read, did you read your Bible? Have you prayed? Even my daughter who is 27, I still say that to her. Sorry for saying your age. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, we began to do that as a family. And it was a scripture of Nehemiah 4.9 that said, nevertheless, they took their prayer, they made their prayer to the Lord, and because of them, they set a watch over them day and night. And what did that show me? That God wanted us to pray as if everything depended on prayer, and work hard as if everything depends on work. And so that's what we've been doing as a family, trying to grow together in faith and in love as a family. And that's where, you know, this church is so beautiful. Because the Lord reminded us in, you know, Psalm 34, 19, that the, you know, the Lord said that in the many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered from it all. And I, be, and I wanted to find for myself a community of people that were going to be my support, stand in the gap for me, pray for me. And I found it in this church. This is a beautiful church. We are not perfect, but we are trying and we are making the effort. So I have three great friends, Lisa, Dorothy, Lois, who I can call at any time to pray for me. But us as a family, back to my family, we learned, we began to have Bible studies together. We began to have days of prayer and fasting. We began to have night vigils where in the, in the night, we still up all night praying and talking to the Lord about our challenges. We needed to do this because as a family, we're either going to sink or swim. But we chose to swim as a family. And so that's the beauty of, you know, having God and having a church like this that supports you and thinks of you as, you know, gives, you, gives, a, gives worth to you. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to share is um, 
You know, racism is a spiritual warfare. I need to let us know this. And the Bible talks about it. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, um, verse 4, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It says they're mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. It says casting down, casting down arguments and everything that raises itself against the knowledge of God. Racism is an argument that says something that is not true. So are other things in our lives. So I want to use this opportunity to invite you all to come to the prayer room. Because for us, my family and myself, it was the prayer and the word of God that healed us, that made us swim. And we're thriving and we're not sinking because of Christ. So, you know, I'm asking all brown and black people who are going through the pain of racism and those who are who are wounding others, and those who have had problems in their families, you know, with your work, with your health, come to the prayer room. The men and women of faith who will put their arms around you and support you and pray for you. And the last thing I want to say, All Pastor right, said, Dr. Chioma has given us the, <laughs> all right, you've given us the prescription. I think that right. we, the prescription is prayer, right? That's, yes. the, that's your, your prescription right. for mm -hmm. us as a way to heal uh, both uh, those who have been wounded, but also uh, heal us as a church from divisions and really pray into us uh, unity. And that's what Jesus is teaching when he, uh, in John chapter 17, talks about, uh, may they be one, Father. It's a prayer. Uh, Jesus is teaching that prayer has to be a part of how we grow in oneness as a body. Thank you, Dr. Chioma. And now, Michael, uh, would you just share a little bit uh, about your background and, uh, and how you uh, came to perceive race uh, early on in through your family experience. Sure, good morning. So I am a third generation Japanese, and in Japanese that's sansei. That's the extent of my Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, grandparents were born in Okinawa, Japan, and in the 1920s they moved to Hawaii where my parents were born. So if you follow history, they were there during the 40s, uh, during and after the Pearl uh, Harbor attack. You can imagine the intense discrimination they faced. My parents used to tell me they were called vicious names and certainly easy, easy targets for hatred and anger and suspicion. They moved to California to find a new home, and there was a development there in Los Angeles, and the real estate agents were happy to show them the homes, but they had to explain to them that they were not able to sell it to them because they were Japs. And so we moved to a, a much poorer neighborhood, and we grew up near South Central. And for those that may know, South Central was the location of the Watts Riots. So it was a very diverse neighborhood, 90% um, black and Hispanic. Yeah, and so you, you were living in that racial tension uh, and diversity. What, uh, what did you learn in, the, in terms of your perspective on race in that context? Well, it was a very tense neighborhood and a lot of violence. Uh, the gangs were basically divided between the blacks and Hispanics. Um, when I was 12, uh, I remember sitting at a bus stop and a black woman sitting right next to me was viciously stabbed. And I can see her this, to this day. I could hear the gasp as she was stabbed. And I, can, I remember at age 12, hearing the air coming out of her body. 
which you know I didn't realize air would come out of your body. And so the racial pain is uh, very real to me. It's, it's more than just a concept. It's uh, been burned permanently in my memory. And when I see Ferguson, it just reminds me of the Watts riots. And while there's been a lot of progress, a lot of things have remained the same. And too often, I, I think, see that people just see ways that people are, are different from us. And when you think about it, the dictionary defines you know, discrimination, to be discriminate, to see differences. And unfortunately, sadly, those differences separate us. Yes, but we have, uh, in Christ, have the resources to have new eyes so that we're not seeing differences, we're different. Uh, and so, uh, as you see it, uh, what are the key things we need to reflect on in terms of the resources that we're given uh, that provide solution to this? So, for me, you know, change starts with a, a different mindset. My favorite verse is Romans 12:2: Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. And when I think about a mindset... I'm reminded of a phrase one person who was talking about diversity said, lifting people up breaks down barriers. And you know, encouragement and lifting up, the Bible mentions it 105 times. And we look at the patterns of this world and you listen to the news, it's so filled with protests and, and anger and such polarization I've never seen uh, for my entire career. And what I can do is really, for myself, just reach out and simply understand, you know, and encourage people and just understand their feelings. You know, I may not agree with your point of view, but feelings are never wrong. And just the encouragement and, and uh, support will go a long way with breaking down those barriers. Mm-hmm. So we've, in our uh, BlackRock experience here, we are one of the, as Steve mentioned, the hosts of the community group. And it's a wonderful experience. We are, our family, a little bit of a multinational family. My wife is from Luxembourg, and we adopted a beautiful, full Hispanic baby girl, seven years old now. And we just love our community group. It's a wonderful experience, a great opportunity to reach out and talk about our differences and, and share, and most importantly, support and encourage each other. We also, as Steve mentioned, a family peace center that we started, my wife and I. It's a nonprofit organization. Our focus is on the family. And when you think about it, the family is the original community group. This is where we learn fraternity, mutual support of others. So we're dedicated to helping families, reaching out to them, supporting them through Christian counseling and encouraging the children in a ministry that recognizes their God-given gifts in their pre-K to sixth grade after-school program. Mm, Thanks, Michael, for uh, emphasizing the role of parents. And uh, one way that we grow uh, in oneness as a church is if we as parents, especially those of young children, are teaching the values of the family of God. 
that are so well laid out uh, in Scripture in terms of our relationship as brothers and sisters in the church because of the love of the Father and Jesus for us. And uh, then also uh, Michael is emphasizing the use of our homes as a way to uh, increase our oneness here at Black Rock. If you have not welcomed a person who does not look like you uh, into your home uh, for a meal or a cup of coffee, uh, make sure you do that. Uh, let's use our homes and our community groups as a way to, uh, to build our oneness together in relationship. And uh, Mari, your experience, however, is uh, one where you actually st have struggled throughout your life with the feeling of not really belonging. Can you explain that? Right. Um, <clears throat> I was born in New York, and when I was four years old, I went to live in Puerto Rico where I did all my schooling, and even as I was growing up, I, when I was in Puerto Rico, my friends would make fun of my accent of how I spoke Spanish. And then when I was, um, I would come back to visit my dad here, they, my friends here would make fun of my, the way how I spoke English. So I was always caught in between then. I really never felt that I 100% you know, belonged to either, either one. I was not 100% Puerto Rican because I wasn't born in the island. And then when I was over here, I was coming from the island, so I really didn't belong here. Mm -hmm. And throughout the years, you know, that was always something that stuck to my mind and so on. And um, I got used to the name New Yorican, you know, because you were from New York and you're Rican, Puerto Rican. So it was really, um, I was caught in between. And as I grew and I, you know, when in my mid-20s I came to the United States, um, that those sense of feeling of not belonging, it was, it was definitely more and more um, because of the fact that first I didn't have my family, but also the fact that many people um, had this impression about Hispanics that we were uneducated, that we were lazy, we we're just looking for government, you know, AIDS and things like that. And they just looked down on us. And that was very, very painful because even though, I mean, here I was, I had graduated from the University of Puerto Rico, top honors. I had two years of law school under my belt, but I still was not feeling worthy of being part of that community. So, um, you know, it really hurts. And I'm, even though I'm over that part now because I have found Christ and just it's amazing as love, um, it's still, you know, when I see somebody from, you know, from whatever country and they're speaking Spanish, I immediately get all excited and I'm like, yay, you speak Spanish. And I start talking to them and we get all excited until someone comes around and says to us, you know, hey, speak English, you're in America. That's like a slap because, you know, I am, I am American. Or they say, go back to your country. And um, that really just turns off a switch and immediately puts up these walls for us. Yeah. So, um, and in particular, because like I said, I'm, I'm American, but number one, um, Jesus wants us to speak one language, yeah. and that is the language of love, love and oneness in him. And let's, maybe that's one way that we can increase our uh, oneness is that as you hear uh, in the halls here uh, at BlackRock, uh, people uh, enjoying talking in their uh, native tongue, uh, celebrate it. Uh, God loves uh, the uh, language, the beauty of, of language, and uh, instead of feeling like uh, like judged or, or, or uncomfortable, because you're not talking about us, are you? When you uh, talk <laughs> well, ninety eight percent of the time, we're not talking about you. 
The other two percent is when we hear someone saying, you know, go back to your country. And that's when we really like. Yeah, so don't really be that off. person. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, so where did you find belonging uh, that kind of finally satisfied your heart? Um, just again, I'm so thankful that we have an amazing father who loves us and is continually in search for us and doesn't abandon us in, abandon us in any way. And um, eight years ago, a very good friend of mine invited me to a service, in, um, a sanctuary service. I was in the lowest point of my spiritual you know, life. I just, my, my dad had passed away just a few weeks before then. Um, my 10-year-old daughter needed emergency brain surgery in Boston, and I was lost. I didn't have any type of relationship with God. I said, why even bother? And that because of that friend that invited me to BlackRock, and I said yes to that, you know, I found my identity in Christ. Now I find my belonging in Jesus and in his people here at BlackRock. Every step that I have taken on step and growing in my faith, every group that I have participated in has had an impact in my life that um, it just builds up and makes up for all those years of feeling left out. I have people, you know, from my community group. It's amazing, amazing. Um, through Living Free group, I found, you know, like total healing and finally understanding, you know, the plan that God had for me. So, you know, I encourage people to, you know, we have to, as a church, we have to embrace our culture. We have to embrace the diversity that we have here and welcome people, whether they understand or not, that's God's job. And, you know, Jesus will provide that language barrier in there. Um, he just wants us to be one in him. Thank and you. to those people who don't speak the language, come, come. They will, somebody here will reach out to you and just welcome you home. Thanks, Mari. And I think it's a good reminder for us all that just like a friend invited uh, Mari here and she found uh, her home, uh, you can do that. You can reach out to your friends and uh, explain to them that there is a, uh, a place where they will be uh, loved in a relationship uh, with the God of love and his grace in Jesus. And uh, I'm just going to uh, close in prayer. But before I do that, could you just thank our panel here for uh, how they've led us here today? Thank you so much, panel. Thank you. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.